Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 208. 208. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, we have uh, some rainy weather for the 47th week in a row today. Uh, pounding down here in uh, Granbury. It? It's crazy. Yeah, nuts, man. I, I afraid we're going to lose power today with the lightning and stuff coming through, but looks like it's all passed, so we should have a pretty smooth show today, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully so. Speaking of show today, we will not have a show next week. We'll be on vacation. So Josh and I both will be out of town, down in the Corpus Christi area, ripping a little lip. Well, I'll be ripping lip. Josh will be watching me catch fish. Um, so that'd be fun. Um, be back after that and back to our regularly, regularly scheduled programming. So excited for all that. And Josh, I didn't even check for reviews. Did you? Um, I'm looking at it right now. There's no, no, no new ones. I mean, there's no new ones, people. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. There may have been some five stars, but no written. No, no written. Okay. Well, we gotta have a uh, we gotta have a written one at some point. So, anyways, you know, if you could leave us a five star review, it really helps the show out. Um, beyond that, Mister Shelton, and I think I don't know if I said or not, we got Kyle Susan coming on. So excited for that, and that's about it. Well, Ryan, uh, I'm gonna bring up something. So uh, I kind of made a, a a goof up talking about the colonial pipeline and the uh, line five last week. Um, and just to make up for it, I have a pretty cool article from the wall street journal. I believe it is a free article. I'm not certain. Yeah, it's free. Uh, it is about, you know, uh, Gretchen Whitmer and the Enbridge's line five and some of the details around that. So this was the most uh, comprehensive article that I found on it. So I'm going to link that in the show notes. If anybody wants to go and follow up with that, Ryan on a, uh, on a better note, um, last year, I don't know if you remember North Face. We, uh, our we boys, talked, we talked a lot about North Face. So they've been all over the 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 news. You know, if, if you go look on Twitter, oil and gas are one of the the more trending stories. So oil and gas industry has been trolling North Face. Uh, the billboards, tweets, and all sorts of information that's coming out. Oh, and uh, man, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> it is great. So they, they, they've been putting stuff out, you know, just saying that all the stuff that they use to make the jackets, to transport the jackets, all their clothing, the warehouses where the clothings are made are all relying on fossil fuels. And it's like, a, it, it's, it's funny uh, seeing how, how, I don't know if it's ignorant. I don't think it's ignorant, Ryan. I think it's, uh, I think they're playing to the media for benefits, really. Well, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's kind of I always think about this stuff, right? Um, is that you know, the higher up the food chain you go, the less ignorance I will allow for. The lower down the food chain you go, the more ignorance I will allow for. And so here's what I mean by that. There are probably things about certain industries that you and I have no idea that they're connected. Right. So, you know, um, I don't know, the lumber industry, I'm making something up here, is probably tied in. Okay, Ben. Good, good, good to see you, Ben. Good to see you. Uh, <clears throat> nice. Yeah, I see it for you. Yeah. Anyways, um, but you know, there's probably there's probably stuff about the lumber industry that you and I don't know, right? So there's certain there's certain things, or 
I don't know, insert industry here is probably connected in ways that we don't understand because we don't follow those industries. On some level, I am sympathetic to kind of the average man not knowing everything. The higher the food chain you go, the less, the more culpable, culpable you are. And so like the CEO of North Face, he obviously knows where their products are coming from, what they're buying, how they're mixing. Like he knows all this stuff. The factory worker may or may not know. Uh, and so my kind of read on it is, is that it's good for the industry to be kind of punching them in the face, letting them know this is, this is what's going on here. You can continue to virtue signal. And I think the oil and gas industry really has to continue to do this. It's something that we've been doing for some time and they have to con continue to do it because not a lot of people know. A lot of people don't put on their, their jacket and go, Oh, thank God for oil and gas. Yeah. They just don't. And so until that's what people start thinking. And you know, what I always used to, the example of I've used for years now is right now, somewhere in the world, there was a helicopter flying a heart in an ice chest to save someone's life or an organ to save someone's life. That's all because of oil and gas. The helicopter, the ice chest, uh, you know, the people, the clothes, all the, the building, uh, like all of that is oil. ice. Ice. Yeah, all of that comes from oil and gas. And so when when you um when you get to that point and you go, okay, that's that's oil and gas, then you can kind of do it. Yeah, Ben, Ben, Ben. It's 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 uh, yeah, it's good to see that you're Ben. Okay, for those listening, Ben Samuels and I do a podcast in the morning. He is now taking my talking points, using them as his own, and then getting on to me for taking his air quotes talking points. So, um, yes, Ben, it's it's good to see that you have now come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> You've now taken my talking points and made them your own, and then accused me of stealing. It's 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 a crafty. <laughs> It's a crafty tactic. So anyways, um, but yeah, so I'm glad to see us punching them in the face. Yeah. So, I mean, seeing, seeing the industry um, be treated like that on, on a lot of fronts, uh, it, it's the move from the media to push a certain narrative um, makes people just completely ignore reality and just uh, present themselves kind of a posture Um it reminds me of the the you know the the Koch brothers and um, some of the things that that people do to try to get the approval of the media so they don't have to spend a lot of money actually making substantive change. Uh, I don't you remember Ricky uh, Gervais's his uh, speech at the at the Oscars a, a little while back, uh, which was just beautiful by the way. Mm -hmm. He he ended up going on there and talking about um, you know Apple and some of these companies that were woke and were you have all these concerns for people and yet they have kids working in sweatshops overseas. Right. And it's oh, like, yeah. right. you guys really don't care about it. Y'all are just trying to find easy ways to get, um, to get approval from the media so that you can make more money. Um, and the frustration is, is that you spend all the time. So there's this crazy narrative out there. So you spend all your time making fun of the crazy narrative and you don't actually get to talk about substantive policy issues or ways to improve the industry because you're, you're you're having to start from morons. Hey, listen up, we're vital to your life. And so, <laughs> I mean, you you, know, you can't talk about you know how to think about flaring or, or you know or whatever the issue might be of the day because you're over here battling this nonsense. And so that's that's the real frustration is that you have to you have to battle that. Um, and so I, I saw Putin. I think it was this weekend came out and said something to the effect of, you know, the, the Europeans should buy Russian natural gas because it's cheaper. 
than I mean, it's it's, it's, it's uh, cleaner than U.S. Uh, fracked gas. And so it's like, huh, okay. So now the Russians are are playing into this propaganda too. So whose side are you on now? Because are you on the Russian side? Or you're on the U.S. side? And so you get these things, and it's so stupid. And instead of saying, there's a lot of other ways to think about these issues. So, yes. Uh, good to see North Face getting slapped around. Hopefully they will come to their senses. And uh, they're welcome to come on this podcast anytime. We'll be nice to them. We'll ask them if they want to live the Amish lifestyle. That's our. That's always our starting question. Do you want to live the Amish lifestyle? If not, then you need to back up. Yeah, rethink the rethink the strategy. All right, so New Mexico state land offices sues Midland Company for abandoned wells. So uh, Midland Oil and Gas Company was sued by uh, the BLM, it looks like, New Mexico state land office, uh, after regulators found its facilities abandoned on state land in Chavez County, just north of the Permian Basin in southeast New Mexico. Uh, so what I found interesting, Ryan, is uh, they, these companies put all these uh, fracking bans on the land and now you have companies that are starting to just hightail it out of there. I mean, they can't, uh, they're getting going bankrupt because the investments and things they have are, they're, they're not going to be able to continue to grow their portfolio, uh, which I'm not necessarily for leaving abandoned whales, but I'm, I'm thinking that some of this should have been foreseen if they're going to do a ban like that. What I mean, wouldn't it? Well, but this is state land, right? This isn't federal. Or am I missing something here? Oh, so I, I was thinking that the uh, the state land, the New Mexico state land, that the the office regulator was connected with the BLM. Mm, I don't know. That's a good question. I thought this was. I thought their state stuff was separate than their federal. So I'm sure we have a a listener who knows and can and reach out. But I was thinking this would be. Um, regulated at the state level, not the federal. not the BLM. Yeah. yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Yeah, and so regardless, um, you know, whoever's in charge, the, what's interesting because oil prices are up though, right? And so, yeah. and so you're sitting here going, okay, prices are up. I don't know enough about the New Mexico state lands. I mean, WTI is at sixty nine seventeen now. Um, separate, not equal. Okay, yeah, that's my thought. Um, according to Ben Samuels, the New Mexico guru, you know the the but. Anyways, I got distracted by that. Sorry. Um, I think that the thing to consider here is what are you going to do when, you know, you're in a, you know, we, we talked about it for some time, which is you have to take care of the injured party, which in this case, it would seem to be the, the state. Um, and so if, this, if the state's going to come after you, and New Mexico is already kind of um, more left-leaning on, on these issues. So it's not surprising that they would crack down. So if you're going to be an operator, in New Mexico, then you better be on your P's and Q's. And obviously, abandoning abandoning your stuff and not cleaning up is is going to get you in trouble. I think <laughs> it's in trouble, you know, yeah. that's, that's an easy yeah. that's an easy way to swing and miss. And so what, what it's saying here, North Star, it's uh, eleven is uh, eleven wells that they failed to plug, and that they are I think I believe charging them five hundred dollars a day per well, going back to March. And there's other fines that are involved. They're saying it's going to be in the high six figures, so uh, not the million range, but. Uh, getting closer every day uh, and they're expecting them to try to go in and reclaim those sites and, you know, remediate, you know, the, uh, the, the site. So it, it's, uh, it's interesting to see that uh, some of this stuff has, it's playing out in New Mexico. Um, 
I've, I've been curious how the how the industry was going to change as some of these bans were were happening. You know what companies were going to do. I mean, I, I've talked to some people that. Uh, I mean, you had uh, Jay Young mentioned it the other day that he had a lot of things in in Colorado that he wanted to develop, but basically he just put it all on ice and just got out of there for a little while and was focusing on some other areas because it just doesn't make sense to do business there. And New Mexico is fast becoming that way where people are just not incentivized to do, do their stuff there. It'd be better for them to um, do go elsewhere if possible. You know, if, if it's, if there's, well, there's, there's a reason this is called the Texas oil and gas podcast and not the New Mexico oil and gas podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the Colorado oil and gas podcast. Um, and so no offense to those great States, but there is a reason for that so um and then yeah, ben samuels josh should you and i run the show for the next couple of weeks as right is quote moving etc uh, josh and i are going on vacation next week so i'll be fishing i'll be fishing next week um but you know it it, it probably would bring a little bit more profit margins to the show wow. me and ben started wow. Well, somebody's gonna make up for the lack of fish you're gonna catch next week. Uh, so, <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, yeah, run solo. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah. I tell you oh, what, right. tell you what, Ben, I'll cut you. I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a deal right now. If you find a guest host, we will let you and a guest host host the show for Josh on next week. How about that? Right? I mean, we're not gonna here. Someone else can host it. So if you, if you got someone. Who will step in with you? Then, um, you know, and you want to do the show next week? We'll let you do it. Well, Ryan, we got uh, one more piece as we wait to uh, see what Ben says there. So we uh, we mentioned OPEC, I believe we did the show last week. It was Monday. It was Memorial Day, so everything was kind of shut down. So every all the news and stuff really started coming out on the following day. Uh, OPEC Plus agrees to add production as oil prices climb. Um, this seemed like the news that the oil patch was wanting to hear. Um, it looks like they're going to slowly start adding barrels onto the market and they are not planning to just flood it with uh, a lot of production. Uh, so this was good news, right, Ryan? Yeah, I think Anas said, let me see if I can pull it up. He said that more or less um, OPEC is going to do everything is power to keep prices between 60, yeah, 68 and 75. Hmm. Um, and so he thinks that's what they're trying to do it. Um, things start getting sour when Brent is above 75, bitter below 68. He goes on to say, um, there's some, yeah. Anyway, um, I there's some yeah. Conclusion consumers and producers should enjoy being in the sweet spot and try to stay there. It's good now and good later. The only problem is as major as major macroeconomic variables change, the sweet spot changes. So for now, he's saying that that is where he thinks the price is and will be, and will try to be held by um, the members of OPEC. So that's good news. That's good news. I wish where we want it. I mean, I, I, I think that if we could hold it there for two straight years, that'd be beautiful. Well, right. But the issue, I think, is when you go look at um, you know some of the economic data out of China, or um, you know what Big Warren says about uh, the actual storage. It, it feels like there's there's more storage than that, that would justify the current price. But who knows, man? Who 
knows. So nobody knows. We might have a, a COVID variant strain, uh, twenty twenty two that just wreaks havoc again. You know, so nobody knows, man. I, I, after last year, I think those end of year predictions are, are very uh, <laughs> presumptuous. We should not do those again. Can we not talk about last year? We're almost halfway through this year. Last year felt like it lasted like a decade. We are in June, almost uh, almost mid-June, early June, first week of June. Um, by the end of this week, will be mid-June, basically. And, God, it's crazy how fast life moves when you're not stuck at home, can't go anywhere. Yeah. Tell you what, I've, I've certainly enjoyed it. We had going to be the GOAT 2022, be the GOAT. Um, yeah, I, I've enjoyed eating out at restaurants. Uh, I have enjoyed driving in my car. I've enjoyed not wearing masks. Uh, heck, I've enjoyed being able to go to church, man. That is, it was, a, it was a, a rough year last year. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah. And so, anyways, I think uh, I don't. I don't think gosh, we'll have another shutdown. But with that being said, you know, you have kind of this sweet spot of price, but you also have. We talked about what last week with Exxon, Chevron, Shell. There's a lot of things that are moving here that are in play, which is, you know, how will these multinational oil companies? You know, will they push for more regulation? Will they, um, you know, reallocate the resources to different areas? And then you have something we haven't talked about. It's this, this global tax that's coming, uh, according to the G7 members. And so they're going to set up some kind of global tax corporate rate. So I don't know. It is um, it is an interesting time to be alive. And our guest should be on. In the second, now we'll see if he hops on here in just a second. I gotta go check into the global tax. I hadn't followed. I hadn't read anything on that. Yeah, Janet Yellen um, has been proposing. I think a twenty percent, but I think I think they said they're gonna do ten percent or something like that for the G seven members. Jeez. So I mean, is that gonna cause the prices to go up by about eleven percent? Man, it seems like prices for everything is just skyrocketing. I mean, that's one good way to get one good way to just make inflation. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, nothing like sticking to the little guy than taxing the big corporations so they can just pass it on down to the rest of us, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even I, I had to get an AC put in uh, over the weekend, Ryan, and uh, not the weekend. Yeah, it was the weekend actually. And uh, the guy told me that they they were getting price hikes like every couple of months. All their parts and stuff are going up. Uh, so nothing to help that, like uh, taxing the people who make those parts an additional 10%. You know? Nothing like it. That's right. Okay, there he is, the talking – well, I don't really go by that or not. The the data wizard himself, the one, the only, Mr. Kyle Souza. Can you hear yeah, us? Like my grandma used to say, you can call me whatever you want as long as you don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> I don't call you for dinner at all, so it's, it's well, all things – this interview is getting off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, um, first off, you've been on the show a couple times. Why don't you reintroduce yourself for folks who do not know who you are? Sure. Uh, I'm Kyle Souza, and I am the data wizard at Intellis. Basically, if that's to do with artificial intelligence, machine learning, databases, data conversions, those kinds of things, uh, I deal with it in some capacity. 
And uh, I have a personal interest in cybersecurity, website design, uh, search engine optimization, and then all things geeky and nerdy. Um, it's hard to read the, the books behind me, but there's a lot of comics and Star Wars and fantasy novels back there. So when we talked about the Colonial Pipeline, you sent me a message and said, as the leader of Darkseid, you thought that you wanted to get your side of the story out, right? That It, it was something along those lines. Um, I think I think what I actually said was I heard a podcast. I didn't even tell you that I listened to your podcast because I don't <laughs> want you to get a big head. I just said that I heard on a podcast they may be interested in somebody's opinion. Um, yeah, just so we're clear here, let's connect the dots. Josh offered to consult Darkseid. You reach out to come talk about what Darkseid did. I, I ain't got a check yet, so I don't know what you guys are doing, yeah. whatever. Well, yeah, I'll give you an answer I gave somebody a few years ago when they asked if I was part of Anonymous. If I told you, then I wouldn't be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's go back to the Colonial Pipeline. Um, at a high level, obviously, you're kind of a guru here. You're a wizard, so there you go. Um, for dummies like Josh and I, what, what happened? What went wrong? Is this something that was easily done? Is this a sophisticated hack? Are we still waiting for more details? Break it down for us. Oh, no, it was pretty easy to do. So uh, companies have a problem, and it's the same problem that individuals have, but it, it's much more pronounced with companies. Companies are much better targets because companies have a lot more money than most individuals do. Um, and, and basically what happened was they either figured out or acquired somebody's username. Now, a lot of times people's usernames are their email address. And it's really easy these days to figure out somebody's email address if you know the company domain and you know their first name and their last name. Because it's usually some combination of first name, last initial, first initial, last name, first name, last name. There might be a dot in there somewhere. Uh, and then the company domain. And that's how most business emails are these days. And then it's a matter of figuring out the password. Uh, you can get passwords through phishing or you can get passwords the way that looks like the hackers for Colonial Pipeline did, which is... Uh, they bought a list of passwords from prior hacks and just ran those. And that's one thing that a lot of hackers do. So if you look at something big like uh, the Adobe hack or the Zillow hack or, or any of these hacks that have happened over the last couple decades and uh, out there on the dark web, uh, usually from somebody in Eastern Europe or Russia, you can buy for a few hundred dollars all the usernames and passwords that were acquired during that hack, if you know where to look. And so... Uh, somebody used just that ability to purchase passwords from a prior hack, and then they tried the username with all these passwords. And it might have been 300,000 passwords. Excuse me, we're not exactly sure if they had an exact match to this person's username. But if you look and see that, okay, this username or this email address has been hacked, and it is part of one of these prior hacks. They just try all the passwords in that prior hack, and if the person hasn't changed their password since then, you're good to go. You're in. And so they, they got in through the VPN, which is a virtual private network, which is a way of securing things. But if you get into that secure system, uh, then, then you've got some free reign. If there's not a second level of security, uh, such as two-factor authentication or a different username and password to actually get into the system that the VPN is bringing you to. So because the VPN is just a gateway. Yeah, let me just pop in here. So if I'm hearing you correctly, just as a non-wizard, um, you're suggesting that the, the best, not the best way, the first step that companies that are listening to this podcast who are trying to secure their network would be to not use their email 
as the login for their system. So ryan.ray at ryanray.com or, or whatever. Don't use that and make up something else to as a username and password to log into their server, the system, wherever it is. Is that is that is that, that right? Correct. And get more creative than just dropping the domain name. Like, you know, uh, kyle.s at intellis.com. Great. I don't want to use my email address. I'm just going to use kyle.s. That's not different enough. And you wouldn't say also, just tease us out here, it wouldn't be like if there's an employee number, you wouldn't use that either. It'd be something random that someone had to memorize, like, you know, a random number generator or you know some kind of random code. So it wouldn't be something that that's attached to Ryan Ray or Cal Susan that could be tracked down somewhere else. That would be best, and definitely not like a gamer tag or something else that could easily be looked up. Yeah, assign them something unique, such as a random number or a random string. Now, you also get into the issue of uh, ease or freedom, right? Going back to V for Vendetta, uh, we trade security for freedom. That's just something we do in, in all parts of life. Uh, and we do the same thing with technology. So you can um, lock things down pretty well with technology, but it makes it harder to use. And so having like a random string for a username and a different random string for your password is much more difficult than using your email address and the password you use on everything else. Because a lot of people use the same password or a variation of a password for as much as possible, which is only a bad thing if that password gets figured out. Um, so if you go to uh, haveibeenpwned.com, that's a website uh, where you can type in your email address or you can type in your password and see if it is available on any of these hack lists. Oh, hold on. What was the website again? Haveibeenpwned.com. Okay. So my question would be is if you type it in, at that point, don't people... Like, is that site is taking your your email and your password and, and putting it on the list? So, great question. They say they're not. And they, they appear to be reputable people. I will say that. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. So, you go at your own risk. That sounds like, that's like a recipe for disaster, which is to go there and then to figure out that um, you have a problem. So, yeah. No, I, I, I completely understand. And I I'm, I'm, don't get anything from that site, so you know doesn't hurt me if you don't use it. But uh, there are there are places out there. Your name in there. I'm gonna I'm put sorry? your I'm gonna put your site in there. Oh, okay, that sounds great. I appreciate it. Um, you know, one thing that large companies should do is they should be proactive and they should get a gray hat hacker on staff, and they should start acquiring these hack lists themselves to measure against for their internal security. Security. Uh, one thing I was talking to my mom about yesterday because she was asking me about passwords and a, a, a complex eight character string, you know, that has a, a uppercase letter, or a lowercase letter, a number or a special character is easier to figure out than a 20 character string that's all lowercase. And so passphrases are better than passwords. And these stupid rules of requiring, uh, you know, special characters and things like that are wholly unnecessary. Length is better than complexity. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I I wish we could do that because you have to make so many random things in these passwords. Uh, It makes me me question, though, with the Colonial Pipeline, 
Kyle, if, uh, if, if they got hacked, they ended up paying, I think $5 million for a ransom mm-hmm. without any yeah, evidence that they were actually going to give them the encryption key back, which I, based on what I saw, the encryption key didn't really work that well because it was slow or you're getting everything relayed over. Do you think this is going to become a market for um, hackers to start targeting more because they see that they can make that kind of money off of something that's relatively looks like relatively easy to do? I mean, you could oh, definitely. So since the Colonial Pipeline hack, there have been you know there's JBS, there was a transportation authority, uh, a state transportation authority that got hacked. You know there have been multiple other infrastructure hacks since the Colonial Pipeline one that didn't necessarily generate as much buzz. Um, what what the hackers have figured out? So hackers over the last few years have really been targeting uh, healthcare quite a bit because if you hack a hospital and you take its records offline, people die, and so hospitals will pay out very quickly, even though they have been officially encouraged not to pay out because it encourages hackers. Many hospitals have the policy that if they can pay it, they will pay it. Now there's also a lot of nonprofit hospitals around who don't have the budget for those kinds of hacks. And, you know, hackers, you know, might hack them anyways, and and they might figure it out, or people might just die. But anyways, uh, hackers do seem to be pivoting from healthcare to infrastructure because they've realized that those people, even though they are government controlled and have been mandated not to pay out, if they hack a private version of infrastructure, then they can get money. Awesome. Yeah. So I, I, I've been curious about it. I didn't know if uh, I thought it would have been a better idea that they not pay the uh, the ransom money uh, just because I, I if I if it were me and I was situation. These people came in, you know, the, the people that are much better at it are going to be coming after me next uh, are coming after all the pipeline industry. So it seemed like a bad idea. I mean, what do you think? Do you think they should have paid the uh, the ransom money or do you think it would have been better to try to hold off? I, I get why they did it because the situation they were in. Because, because of the situation that they were in, I think paying it was the best decision. They could have mitigated that or prevented it by having a better backup system because their backups also got compromised. So part of the issue is it took them like 10 days to figure out that they'd been hacked. That, that's not great to figure out 10 days they have to take, take more than a week. That's not good. Um, by that point, several backups have been, had been compromised. Uh, and also they didn't have, you know, a rotating offsite backup that was secured independently of their onsite backup. So these large companies, security costs money, right? Um, so I get why people don't do it because people don't like to spend money. I myself have been described as a cheapskate. Um, though, I did go through a little effort and you guys can be like, Kyle, this isn't worth talking about, but I wasn't sure if I should dress up and wear a collared shirt like Ryan or go for a t-shirt that has the same exact print on it and wear just a t-shirt like Josh. <laughs> uh, I knew what print I wanted to wear. So I sprung for, for both versions of the shirt there. Anyways, aside from that, I, I get not spending money. And so people don't want to spend money on security and but it's something where where a ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and, and they really need to spend money on that. And I know that the White House put out a communique last week telling them that it's important. So I think everybody will get in line now at that point. That was sarcasm. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was muted. Um, so let's go back to something you said a minute ago, which is, I, I didn't realize this. Are you saying that most hacks aren't hacks like we think of, like someone sitting there, they're like people just going and buying lists and just pounding the servers till they get the combinations right? Like I always thought it's hacks, some kind of sophisticated thing, but it's just matching passwords and usernames? Oh, it'd be great if it was more like Swordfish, but it is not. Uh, these days, it is much less sophisticated, and people are the primary weakness. So whether it is your backup process and people not being on top of that, or uh, people's people not changing their password like they should on a regular basis, or you know using something unique enough, but uh, the way most hacks work is phishing scams. So the way most hacks work is somebody gets an email with a link on it that they click and then they type in their password and the hacker has set up a fake site that looks like the real site that might even redirect them to the real site, but will capture that password in between the email and the real site. Um, I got an email yesterday for a declined payment at amazon.com. I did not click the link inside the email. I went to Amazon.com and looked at my order history to see if any of my payments had been declined. At any point that you can do that, so that's the best way to mitigate phishing is don't click links in emails that will ask you to log in. Um, go to the domain, to the website, and then log in yourself. Even if it's a real email and looks legit, I still recommend that. But that's how most hacks happen is people give their passwords to a bad person on accident. So what about, let's talk about passwords. What about um, technology like the, like the Bloomberg terminal, I think has like a thumbprint or fingerprint scanner. You, you, you see that like the retina scanner stuff. I don't know if that's how, how far along that stuff is, but is, is it, is it something where we can move away from pass, passwords into thumbprint scans or the face scans like on the iPhone? Uh, that technology seems to be pretty accessible for some companies can we move something like that that would fix these problems that quickly, get away from passwords, or do those have their own problems that would make it worse? Because it, I'm, getting, I'm just thinking through this. If you're sitting at your desk and you put your thumbprint on something, I don't. can you actually hack that from the outside because there's no thumbprint being put on the thing? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just more curious, but that fixes these problems. Well, in theory, anything that's internet connected can be hacked remotely. So operational security like this is just a matter of being hard enough that the person wants to move on to the next company. That That's the truth of it, is that you can't have 100% security. You can just be not worth the effort. So you do want to be as hard as possible that way. I've um, been told I'm not worth the effort a lot in my life. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've been told that a lot. I didn't, I, I'm not hackable, apparently. I feel you. I feel you. Hey, uh, I, saw, I saw something, uh, Kyle. So uh, I was doing my two-step authentication at Google. And I recently uh, attached a business to my uh, Gmail. So it, it shows as a, a business if you Google it. Mm -hmm. And they told me that I needed to do, I think it was called a Titan, where they send you mm -hmm. um, they send you a, a piece that attaches to your phone, I mean, to your uh, keychain. They mm -hmm. send you a second one that you put somewhere else, I believe. So it's not two-step. It actually has something physical where when they go to authenticate it, you actually have to plug something physically into your computer in order for it to process your request. Um, and that would be similar to the, the thumbprint, right? I mean, you would have some sort of physical authentication that would prevent it. How much trouble will that be for a company like Colonial to employ something like that though? 
Well, I think that something like the Titan security key would actually be better than a thumbprint. Um, and not just because I saw that old Charlie's Angels movie from the early 2000s where they fake the thumbprints. But uh, those are going to be always connected. And uh, most companies, especially large companies, especially oil companies, are using legacy software applications where newer technology has to uh, be forced to work with the older technology if it even can. And each of those points where multiple technologies are daisy chained together actually presents more of a weakness. Um, the Titan security key is a, is a great tool. Uh, if you have technology that's compatible with it, which because of the way that it works, most technology that runs on physical computers or virtual Windows operating systems are compatible with the Titan security key. Uh, those can be great, and it shouldn't be too hard for large companies to put into place. The problem that I've had with, or that I've heard about with people with Titan security keys is when it comes to remote work, which has been mandatory for many people over the last year and a half, uh, there are some challenges just because it does require physical presence, and it, you may not be everywhere that you need to log into, and so okay. you, you have to have multiple options. So let's kind of recap here and we'll wrap up with this. First off, um, step one is at minimum, just make it slightly harder than your competition. Like, yes, if any, if you're going to do anything, just make it so that if that means extending your password to um, three or <laughs> y'all had to go, uh, y'all had to go read the, uh, <laughs> had to get rid of the YouTube comments there that are coming in on this thing. They're they're not appropriate for the show. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Anyways, um, sorry. Where was it? Oh, so just make it harder. So that means just extending or tripling the length of the password. Um, then do that. That would kind of be a step one. Or giving some random generated number or so username. Um, and, and there's progressions of levels, but that's kind of the the basic thread, which is. Don't follow what everyone else is um, is saying, um, which is you know the the numbers and the asterisks and eight letters. You know, you know, kind of just make make it a little bit harder. Um, and then beyond that, you would obviously need some more advanced stuff. But that's and, and then educate there's, your people. That's that? thing. E educate your people to not fall for phishing attempts, and so that they're aware of why they go through all the steps for you know security. Educating people is a big thing that, you know, people are the weakest link in security, um, not just for rubber hose hacking, but for any kind of hacking, people are the weakest link. And uh, educating them can be the cheapest solution. Okay. All right. Let's see here. Uh, one more comment here from Manchester United. Also, companies don't want to overwhelm with authentication too much that would slow down productivity. Um, right. That's what I'm saying. We trade security for freedom or we trade freedom for security. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. All right, Mr. Susan, where can people find you if they have more questions or want to talk offline? Sure. Um, you can always email me for, for, for professional stuff, kyle.s at intellis.com. That's not my username anywhere. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn uh, or uh, my personal blog is thetalkinggeek.com. And you know what? My cell phone number is 281-935-3663. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Other people will call you now. That, okay with that. I mean, you're going to be having more. Oh, gracious. All right. Give the number one more time for the people who want to talk to Mr. Sousa. I trust your listeners. 
Well, that's uh, dangerous. You don't know our listeners. Uh-huh. You don't know our listeners. I wouldn't trust them. That's uh, uh, my number is 281 uh, But yeah, uh, the com for personal stuff and LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a great place to find me. Kyle, as good as always. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks, Kyle. Bye, Josh. Bye. And um, let's see here, Mr. Shelton. Um, I think that's it. anything else from the roundup. Anything? Uh, two things, Ryan. One, uh, Civitas Resources to acquire oil and gas producer Crestone Resources. Uh, we'll link that in the show notes. And Ryan, as a good analogy, um, when we're out fishing next week, if shark tries to attack us. I think Susan was saying, I don't have to outrun the shark. I just got to outrun you. <laughs> listen, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, if a shark's coming of other people that are fishing, I will be, it, it depends on the size of the shark, right? If it's a big, great white, I'm the target. You know? <laughs> that about it. I'm a target. If it's a small shark, though, with a little mouth, you know, the other members of the trip might be a more likely target. So it depends on the size of the shark in this one. Um, with that being said, we will be off. I don't know if Ben's going to actually step in here and show up for work and co-host. We'll, we'll see. Um, or host, uh, guest host, whatever. But if he wants to, him and a co-host are welcome to do that. Other than that, we'll be back on. Assuming I am moving, I think as we said earlier in the show. So assuming I'm back, uh, the internet's working, at the new house and all this stuff. Theoretically, in a perfect world, we should be back on the 21st. If you want to follow the fishing pictures, it'd be at Ryan Ray Senior on Instagram. And until then, keep coming.